0: All right, welcome into the EMAW Online uh, podcast as we uh, are live yet again after uh, a much a much worse feeling game than the uh, Michigan State victory for K-State. On Thursday, K-State could have become the first team to go into the Final Four. Uh, instead, they were the first team to lose in the Elite Eight this year. And uh, it was in, in heartbreaking fashion because K-State played pretty poorly through the first half, but they they survived it well enough and they even went out to get a seven-point lead in the second half, but they could never get that next bucket to kind of get them over the hump and uh, make it feel like maybe it was a little bit calmer. And then they had a stretch in the second half where they just absolutely hurt themselves uh, by going over five minutes without a basket, and they let Florida Atlantic go on a run, and the Owls were able to uh, take care of business. I mean, they shot the ball like, kind of like what you would have expected them to do they're a team that likes to shoot they have plenty of shooters and uh, they knocked them down tonight and k-state matched them for the most part k-state um was 45 percent from three in the game so it's not like k-state was bad there the issue just was more of florida atlantic hitting timely threes and k-state not really giving enough resistance to those threes that were being put up so I I don't know. There's there's a lot of thoughts. There are a lot of things to get into in this game. Marquise Noel was incredible again. Um, it's unfortunate that he plays that well and has this stretch to end his career, but it's not going to end in in Houston like it maybe should have. And uh, I mean, he he just he, it, it, he didn't get any help tonight. Desi Sills was in foul trouble uh, in the in the game against Michigan State. They survived that, but Keontae Johnson. When you're secondly, or I guess he's really your leading scorer, but since conference plays, your second leading scorer, when he gets into foul trouble, it's going to take you out of it, make it really tough. So uh, a lot to dive into over the next however long as, uh we try to, like I said on the tweet, mourn, laugh, cry, whatever you want to uh, feel right now after that game, go for it. Um, the, what I'm feeling right now is yelling at my dog because she keeps licking the crap out of herself down here, and I'm going to lose it on her. So – She needs to be better about that, and uh, we'll dive into the Cats here. So, Gabe, uh, just immediate takeaways from the game between K-State and FAU.
1: Oh, man. Um, My first immediate takeaway um, that's not overarching but just kind of the thing that will sit with me for a while is Marquise Noel opting for a quick two with Naquan Tomlin over a step-back three where he had created some space surprisingly Vlad golden played drop coverage and like gave him the three, which I thought was odd. I mean, maybe it was the fact that a lot of the drives late Marquise was getting the whistle for, but the fact that Marquise passes that up and takes the, the two, I, I'm not going to say that in the moment I didn't think it was the right thing because in the moment I, I said in the room that I was watching in, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a that's a good move. Like FAU's a bad free throw shooting team. They've already missed. They've already split a pair or missed front ends a couple times. Like, I think it's good to go for the two, bet on a foul and them going one of two or Oh for two at the line, and then all you need is a two for the win or two for the tie. Um, but it, I it, it was it was a I didn't necessarily think it was the wrong move. I just thought it was different than what I expected out of Marquise Noel. Uh, and then on the last possession it looked like he expected to be taken away and he just willingly gave the ball away uh, and was looking for Ish Massoud because he, when he passes cross co- past uh, mid court, he never put his eyes on the rim. And that shocks me for the guy that he is, the willingness that he has to take the shots from deep. Um, but I guess it just ends up being his run looks a lot more Steph Curry than it does. Kemba Walker. Um And it was absolutely fantastic. I think he ends up third all time in tournament assists in one singular tournament. I think he finishes with 51 or was it 52 or 53, something along those lines, but he's just a special player, special run uh, disappointed that there was not a shot getting up at the end. Cause regardless of whether it goes in or not, like those are the moments you live for uh, in March and just to not, to see the ball, to see the season end with it just stripped away from Ish Massoud feels wrong.
0: Yeah, no that that's for sure. Um, because it's just it's just really, it's I don't know. It's just really tough to, uh, um, I don't know. It's just it's just very tough to 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 have us go down like that when you have a guy like Marquise Noel that can make the shot from wherever uh, on the floor. Um, and he doesn't get one off. Or, you know, um the way that I the way that I see that, that playing out, like he just came down the floor expecting to get fouled, and he knew that we can't afford to foul here. Like we're running out of time. We have to get the shot off, we have to get the look. And Ish Masood in two straight games has hit massive threes for them. He's been able to find Ish and make something happen out of it. So it makes sense that you know, you would try that and and whatever else. Um, But he threw it to Ish. And I I think Ish in that moment is thinking to himself, do I get this back to Marquise? Do I shoot this now? There's still some time. What's the move? And basically, I I think just in the time that it took him to process what needed to happen in that moment, Florida Atlantic swarmed him. And then there was absolutely nothing he could do with the ball. And uh, the the clock expired. And and that's how K-State falls in the Elite Eight. So, I I mean – I talked about it going in, uh, and it, it rings true. Um, K State losing three straight in three straight Elite Eights to mid-major teams that are lower seeds than you, or higher, lower, however you want to figure it. It's a lower, it's a higher number, I guess, but um, lower on the seed line. Um, that's pretty painful to take in. Like that's, I mean, it doesn't matter the caliber of team. Um, like that Butler team was great, but at the end of the day, you think K State should beat Butler in the Elite Eight? Uh, And at the end of the day, K-State should beat uh, Loyola and they should beat Florida Atlantic in the Elite Eight and they just weren't able to get it done. Uh, Probably outside of not getting the final shot off, the other big note is going to be Keontae Johnson fouling out. And it's interesting to look at that because he went through stretches this year where he was in foul trouble a good amount or he had some really dumb ones early in games that took him out of the last X amount of minutes of the first half. And he got the best of both worlds today. He missed a good chunk of the first half, and then he uh, ended up fouling out of the game. Some of them uh, you, you could maybe raise an eyebrow out at, eyebrow at. The other part of it, too, is, though, like, you talked about it. When he had three fouls, like, he just can't be trying to take a charge right there. Correct. Uh, whether it was one or not, it's just too risky of a play. Just move on. Give up the bucket. Move on. Whatever, whatever you have to do there. And just unfortunately uh, – I mean, for he tried making some smart basketball plays in them. He gets a foul on diving for a loose ball. Like he gets more more fouls called on him for doing things that you should probably try to do in basketball. Um, but uh, he's just such a big guy that, like, sometimes you're just gonna have more mass to get in the way and and, and get physical with somebody. So tough to not have him out there uh, for a majority of the game. That's gonna contribute to kind of the what ifs of uh, K State's. Uh, season right here
1: yeah I mean when you go back and you you it, it, when you go back and you and you go go through the five fouls the first foul he gets for being in the way of a guy who is attempting to get a rebound like he literally commits a foul yeah and then he's grabbing his face because a guy ran through his chin so that's <laughs> yeah. foul one foul number two is He's stumbling to try to catch a ball in transition because Marquise Noel threw the ball at his feet, which I don't think was a great pass by Marquise. Yeah, it wasn't a good pass. Very unlucky. Foul number three was diving for a loose ball, which as a coach you're like probably good effort, all those types of things. Uh, Foul number four is trying to take a charge, effort play. And then foul number five was him attacking the glass for an offensive rebound and a kid embellishing some contact this is the way I saw it. Um, it looked it looked very uh, – I forget which kid it was for FAU, but it looked a little David Gassani of like uh, I yeah. just got shot and I'm now hitting the floor about as hard as I possibly could. Um, so when you break the fouls down that way, it, it leaves a lot to be desired because uh, they were not productive fouls. And they were somewhat unlucky, um, and I would say one of them was just not a great situational. Like the only one where I I think was a poor situational decision is the attempt to take a charge with three fouls, with fourteen minutes left in the second half in a two point game. Like you can yeah. afford to just give away two, and and it wouldn't even have been just giving away two because there was, an, I think Desi Sills was right next to him. Like there was going to be a contest on the play. Um, so that, that sucks. And, and it feels like when top seeded teams lose, you always end up looking and and being like, man, that game from that guy who typically delivered all season long, uh, really put a damper on things. And it sucks because it, you got another 30 and 12 from Marquise and you just needed the, you just needed one guy to go running mate with him. And Naquan Tomlin's good. I think he's going to be great next year. But Naquan Tomlin was not ready for the being the number two in this situation. And neither was Desi. Neither the camp Carter's not that guy. He's just not that guy. No. And nobody else was able to be it. So that, that part sucks.
0: Well, it's, you know, it's funny. We talked however long about when K-State gets to the tournament they're going to have all these games lined up to where they will have the two best players on the floor. Certainly would have been true tonight against Florida Atlantic. The problem for K-State was for only 18 minutes of the game, they had the two best players on the floor because Keontae Johnson couldn't play in the other 22. And that is the ultimate killer right there is Keontae Johnson. He was good when he was in. like He was scoring pretty efficiently tonight. He was four of seven, nine points. Now, the other killer, he misses three free throws in the game. Ish Sood also misses a free throw in the game that was significant. Marquise Noel missed a free throw, which you thought, oh, man, this this is a sign of not good things to come. Um, Desi Sills missed a free throw as well. K-State was t- uh, 12 of 18 at the free throw line tonight. And you mentioned Florida Atlantic. They're not like a great free throw shooting team, 71% of the year. They were great tonight, 81%, closer to 82% than 81 even at 18 of 22. And th- that's, I mean, the recipe for how this game played out is how a team like Florida Atlantic has to win that game. K State lost one of their best players to foul trouble; he couldn't be out there, and Florida Atlantic capitalized on um, K State not doing the little things well, and Florida Atlantic, you know, in, in the return, actually doing them. And so uh, that's that's a, that's a big killer right there to to look at how it worked, and um, just tough to see for uh, for for K State and how that ends up going down a couple of other notables from the game. Um, Naquan Tomlin had the six rebounds. Nobody else on the team had more than three. Marquise Noel was the second leading rebounder in the game, tied with Cam Carter uh, for the second most rebounds in the game for K-State at three. And then Keontae had two. You get zero from Gasson, uh, zero from Bebe in his five minutes, zero from Taikian in his five minutes, one from Ish uh, during that stretch, and that's the other thing that you can you can withstand getting out rebounded by Kentucky. That makes sense. It's unfathomable to be out rebounded forty-four to twenty-two by Florida Atlantic. I mean, I know that, that Vlad Golden is a big dude inside, but they had a seven-one dude and they had a six-eight dude, and that's all they had that they play. Um, and, and that's another real kicker for K-State, and it, it goes to show where the growth needs to be for guys like Naquan Tomlin and David Gasson.
1: Yeah, you just – you cannot be playing – how many minutes was it for Gasson? 16 minutes and have zero rebounds? Uh, I would say getting out-rebounded by Florida Atlantic 44-22 to 22 is – and I would use a word before the word pathetic, but it would require me to do 10 push-ups. Um, but, like, that is what that is. That is a, atrocious – uh, it's embarrassing. And like in a game of this magnitude where there's so much on the line and there's, there's an art to wanting it more than people. And like sometimes wanting it more than people means you do too much on the offensive end. I don't think K-State, I mean, yes, K-State did some, did some things in the second half where they had chances to go ahead and they did too much. And it led to turnovers. But Like you still won the turnover battle overall in the game. So I, I'm not worried about that, but at some point you got to want it more than people. And like put your ass into a guy and box out. And Naquan Tomlin, I understand he's a little a little skinny. Um he the 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 offensive rebound that led to uh the second chance points at 72 69 mm-hmm. to make it 7469 uh is just unfathomably bad situationally. It wasn't yeah. a bad bounce, it was just a lack of boxing out.
0: Uh, second chance points in the game, 15 to two, Florida Atlantic wins that. Uh, the other killer, I can think of three specific times. There may have been another one or two tossed in there, but K-State on on missed free throws by Florida Atlantic gives up an offensive rebound. That is incredibly hard to do because you have four guys right there to get a rebound. The other team has two, and most teams concede essentially – like you, you really do have to not want it to give up a rebound on a, on a free throw like that. Maybe you get a bad bounce occasionally, whatever that will happen. Uh, but for it to happen multiple times over in this game, like that just showcases one of the deficiencies that K State had today. The other part that ties into this, Keontae's not like just some, you know, out of this world rebounder, but it did like he, he is taken out of the game, not only for the fact that he only played 18 minutes, but like he just can't give as much in certain areas. Defensively and offensively, because of the foul trouble, he has to play a little bit differently. Which is also what makes him trying to take that charge so odd. Is that there were moments where he understands, like I, I got to back off a little bit here, but then he he still in that moment tried to make the the play to to get the ball back. Um, just kind of tough to uh, take in. Um, Marquise Noel, though, we'll go. We'll let's focus on him and give him his flowers right now because. Very, very, very impressive what he did tonight. Like He was trying to will K-State into this and and give them a chance. Um, I mean, K-State's going to be getting ready to go to the podium in probably 10 to 20 minutes, so uh, if you switch over from us and you want to go watch that on the March Madness YouTube page, I I won't blame you. Um, That's going to be a very tough press conference to watch. Like That's going to be right up there with Jacob Pullen after the loss to Wisconsin in 2011 because Jacob Paul and very similar to Marquise Noel are going to end their impressive careers at K-State with 30 plus point performances, yet their team still loses. And that is uh, that's very tough because Noel was great tonight. Again, 30 points. He was five of 11 from three, 12 assists, a few more turnovers than what he had, but you're going to live with a guy that has 12 assists and five turnovers. And some of the turnovers that are on him, were kind of just on his teammates not being ready for his passes, which, you know, maybe a few were like a little too hot to handle, but it to some extent, like they didn't look like them was they were just ready. A drop
1: for him. off the Tomlin in transition.
0: Yeah, and, and like you've played with the dude for how many games now? Has it been like you know thirty five? You should probably be aware that like, Marquise is going to try left. and find you between the legs with a bounce pass, and like that was a bad one uh, that Naquan missed. Um, Some of those dump offs inside you talked about, like he was, he was on it again. He was every bit as good as he needed to be in this game for K-State to win. Unfortunately, like he, when you take Keontae Johnson away, that is what K-State is. Like they are a team that they have one dude that can, can give you the world, but the other team can match that at a pretty good level. Um, And that's, that's what ended up happening without Keontae on the floor. So Marquise Noel was great. Uh, His brother equally as great on the mic'd up uh, segments uh, of the broadcast. That was good uh, for the Noel family. And uh, unfortunately won't be getting any of those in Houston next week. A few other things from the game that stand out. I briefly mentioned it when we opened things up here. Um, But the fact that K-State ends up going uh, on a stretch there where let's, let's see if I can find the exact moment. So They end up uh, taking the lead, sixty-three to fifty-seven, and they don't score Noel three. Yes, that was at the eight thirty-nine mark. They do not score another field goal until one forty-seven on a Marquise Noel three to cut it to seventy-two to sixty-nine. In that stretch, they got a miss three from Tomlin. A miss layup by Marquise, a miss, an air ball from Keontae Johnson when he came back into the game, a miss three from Ishmael, a miss layup from Marquise, uh, a missed jumper from Keontae, and a missed three from Noel. K State lost seven points in that stretch, um, and then eventually Noel hits a three to to bring it within three at seventy-two to sixty-nine. That's just a killer stretch for them to go that long without a made basket, and then in terms of what that run ends up being for K State. Let's see. So they were puts them up six in that moment. Um, let's see the what the the run ends up looking like there. Um, so over that stretch where they they let the lead inch out to eight, uh, they let FAU go on a fifteen to one run over a five fifty five mark, and the only points that they got was on one made Marquise free throw. So just. One of those deals where you can't have it. And, and like, you know, was, was been brought up so many times and will continue to be talked about about this. That also happens when Keontae Johnson is off the floor for some of that. And where does Marquise Noel go to? Like, he either has to shoot it or somebody has to be in perfect position for him. And nobody was. The offense got really stale, didn't look very fluid uh, during that stretch, uh, which is odd because w- once you go up by, six points, like that's when it maybe should start to look a little bit more like that and take a few more chances. It just felt like the chances K-State took when they got a large enough lead in this game um, were in transition and they were just really dumb decisions. Like there's no other way to, to describe them other than just saying they were dumb decisions.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to look in the game log for the oh, – man, where was it? There was a, a moment where – K State had Naquan had a, an offensive rebound, and then he just whiffed mm-hmm. a layup. Um, and I think that was a part of the run, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. But I I thought it was super odd how stagnant it got because the like the one thing you can say about K State this year, well, I mean, I guess. I guess the half court offense has gotten poor at, at times. Um but like in this tournament it typically has been pretty good and uh they they just had such a, a long stretch of time where it felt like FAU made them spend so much time in the first 20 seconds of the shot clock just mm-hmm. to get the ball into Marquise's hands and then he would try to do something uh and set up somebody but whoever was getting the ball was getting it in a position where they had no time to do anything with it uh and when when the rest of k-state's roster that is not marquise noel is getting the ball with very little time to create something uh it doesn't typically go well when the the defense knows that this guy has no option other than to shoot the ball uh that doesn't go well for anybody other than maybe Keontae Johnson at times and like Desi Sills when things are going really, really well. Um, I, I I think that after you saw how good of a performance you got from Ish Masood on Thursday night, there could have been more opportunities to get him the ball in catch and shoot opportunities. Like mm-hmm. he caught the ball multiple times tonight and put it on the deck and then shot a mid range jumper and not to be like Nate Oats or whatever of, of like never shoot a two. I, you can shoot mid-range jumpers if you're good at them. Marquise Noel is yeah. pretty decent. Keontae, Johnson's a, Keontae Johnson is actually well above average at doing so. Uh, Ishmael is not the guy you want going to dribble pull-up. So yeah, that part uh, there's there's always inexplicable things about March losses, uh, whoever school you're rooting for, um, and there certainly were those today.
0: Yeah, uh, it, I think that it, that's probably it would be lower on the list of what people would come to look at and everything else. Um, but one of the what ifs or how does that happens in this game is Ish Massoud only getting two shots off from three. Uh, the fact that they now part of that he only plays 14 minutes. Um, he wasn't as good defensively tonight, and K State felt like they couldn't have him in because they weren't rebounding the basketball. So that's where part of that stems from. But if you made the effort to get him the ball more, he gets those looks a little bit more, um, then you can stomach having him in on defense because you have the the opportunity and the possibility of him really helping you out on offense in a game where you obviously needed offense to, to come through and happen for you. So um, that that's one of those where you just kind of feel like, eh, I don't I don't know what 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 you needed to do there, but certainly uh, more shots for Ish could have helped K-State uh, in this game. Another thing that that stood out to me was towards the the later part of the first half, we got a lineup on the floor for K-State that involved Bebe and Tyke Green at the same time, which was just evidence to me that Jerome Tang was very much aware that his defense was playing poorly in the first half, and he was trying whatever he could to try to get any traction with Defense, physicality, rebounding, and, uh, I I mean, it it worked in some ways. Bebe gave a good five minutes tonight, ultimately, I would say. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's just an indication, like, neither of those guys played significant minutes in really the first three games of the tournament, Um, like even against Montana State. And so to be trying that in an Elite Eight in the first half that was pretty telling of he wasn't thrilled with how things went for his team in the first half. And that's really where K-State lost this game. Like they had their chance. They built the lead in the second half. K-State lost this game because of the first half, because they weren't defending well enough and they were, they were shooting themselves in the foot by ultimately not doing the little things the way that they were supposed to.
1: I, I just think that the first half ended up being a wash because while while you can say that K-State didn't do the little things well in the first half, Florida Atlantic can also be like, we turned the ball over so freaking often. I think they had it's true either 10 or 12 in the first half. Or 12 I, I mean, in the first half, just...
0: 10 in the second half.
1: Okay, there you go. Uh, I would just say that they lost it with the half-court offense stalling out. But And I mm-hmm. think I think the effort to try to play Bebe and Tyke Green – was more to do with Jerome Tang knew that his defense wasn't playing great. And when his defense doesn't play great, they are very susceptible to getting beat on the dribble and fouling. And getting beat on the dribble and fouling being the bailout for Keontae Johnson was a bad thing with two fouls. So Mm -hmm. I think that it had a lot to do with that rather than a, like we're searching for an answer. Uh, Let's muck the game up. Cause they K-State never wanted to muck this game up. They wanted to play in transition they made they wanted to make it a game of skill um and ultimately the reason it couldn't like the, ultimately what did them in was FAU kind of mucking it up and slowing the game down and forcing them to run some off, half court offense and i thought like if you're going to give some flowers to the opponent like an incredible job by FAU's coaching staff to figure things out late and and to as they got the lead early they made Marquise Noel a shooter, not a passer. And I know that he he got a couple early assists, but those early assists were because Naquan Tomlin hit a catch and shoot three, which like isn't a typical thing. Mm-hmm. Um and, and those were contested looks. But I think Marquise started one for five. And it and it was it was two forced threes late in the shot clock, and it was uh those like weird, confusing mid-range floaters where he's He's definitely driving looking to pass. And then no one ends up open and he kind of ends up going up for it and he has to shoot it. And those don't those are not his best shot. So I thought it was a really good, good uh coaching job by FAU. Um, Dusty May is probably not gonna be there very long. Uh he will probably be moving up pretty soon. Um, but he Dusty he Dusty also May will see a,
0: at Texas Tech next year.
1: I mean, maybe they—they
0: they seem locked in on McCasland. McCasland.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: they're locked in on McCasland,
1: but really solid job by him. I'm, I'm just, bum- I'm, just, I just still keep coming back to Marquise, never looking at the rim, coming across half court.
0: Yeah, on back-to-back possessions to not to not take the three. Like I, it makes sense. It's a, it's a smart enough play, and and it doesn't kill you that he hits the pass to Tomlin, but. You know, uh, you, you can have the hindsight uh, of it and say, well, well, he probably should have shot it because you don't get a shot off later. I'm okay in those moments. Um, letting if my my best shooter and my best player, he gets a look, take it when you get the look. Don't just, you know, assume that you're going to get it later. Um, especially because like this isn't the NBA. Like in the NBA, you can get the quick two for as long as you want in, in the, the late game situation because every single guy out on the floor is an elite shot maker to some extent. Like, now it's relative in the NBA, but any one of those guys on the floor in crunch time can hit the three. K-State's issue is, um, on the floor and at the end of the game, what it ends up being M- Marquise-ish, Naquan, and then I'd have to go back and look to confirm who else it was. I would assume that it would have been Cam Carter and Desi Sills out there. Out of those guys there are two of them that you trust shooting a three-point shot on a regular basis, and that's Marquise and Ish. Um, so it hurts to not have Keontae out there who is just uh, around 40%. Um, another question that I'll, I'll throw your way, this and this has a right answer, K-State had two players with positive plus-minuses tonight. And, uh, look, plus-minus can be a very flawed stat, but it also sometimes can just be a pretty blunt way of saying, hey, uh, you actually did good things when these guys were on the floor and so maybe you should have had him out there. Can you tell me who the two guys for K-State with a positive plus-minus
1: were tonight? Considering that Marquise Noel played all 40 minutes, it can't be him. It cannot be him, correct? (laughs) Um, Even though, and that's why plus-minus is flawed, because you you come away being like, Man, Marquise Noel was a minus three. And it's like, well, he played the entire game <laughs> and the rest of his teammates didn't do enough to win. So he's a minus three. That's yeah. why plus minus is flawed. Uh, oh, man. Oh, I'm, I'm, am I? Is it, should I be overthinking this? No, you shouldn't overthink this. I'm going to say that they were positive when Keontae was out there. They were plus four when Keontae Johnson was on the floor in his 18 minutes tonight. Okay. And then I'm going to say that in the very, very brief moments that he was on the floor, Bebe was a plus.
0: (laughs) No, no, that you, now you overthought it there, but Bebe Bebe was minus four. Uh, Desi actually had the worst plus minus tonight, minus six for, for Desi, which means Desi played 39 of 40 minutes, which means that somewhere in that aftermath, the like the 39 minutes that he was on the floor, like he gave up, there were more points that were scored by FAU. So K-State in the one minute that he was off the floor was probably pretty positive, right? You'd have to go back and find a stretch where he wasn't on the floor. Uh, but unfortunately, like that's another thing where I didn't think Desi Seals was bad tonight. He gave him nine points. He was efficient in doing it. Even hit a three in the game, like whatever. He didn't turn it over. So Desi doesn't get it. The other one is Ishma Sud. Ishma Sud was plus three in his 14 minutes on the floor. This evening, and,
1: which, and, and let me just say this, that's a flaw in plus minus, because yes. guess what? Ish Masoud was a negative on, def- on defense. And like, he was getting absolutely worked offensively by golden, like miss, he was in the wrong position when he was even somewhat in the right position. Golden was just going through him and scoring. Uh, There was no answer for him. And, and he wasn't taking away the pass. He wasn't taking away the score like golden was so good early on of taking advantage of that matchup. And I'm, I don't know there, that's, that's one of those, it was one of the rare spots where you, you don't play a lot of big guys in the big, big 12. Like there's not a a ton of seven footers uh, taking advantage of anything. And so that never really showed up as a, it showed up as a negative for K state, like the one night in Ames where Oshuni was like going to work and yeah. Alec asked Tang about, like, what, what can you do to to guard interiorly? And he was like, "Uh, well, we might have to, you know, collapse things in, and that might make us more susceptible to threes. And then I think that they did that, and eventually they were like, well, we're probably off, like, probably better off just, like, guarding the three-point line decently and yeah. hoping that average Big 12 bigs don't beat us. And then they finally got in the tournament a big who – was somewhat skilled and was able to take advantage of things. Cause like Maddie Susoko ironically
0: was a Big 12
1: big at one point. Who I yeah, exactly. But like Maddie yeah. Sissoko is not a skilled big. Oscar Shiboy is not a skilled big. And he's Washington an under State, like
0: he's a he is a thick, well built dude, but he's like undersized. Like he didn't have the towering height that that uh that golden did. Like if you, if you looked at Oscar Sheway on the floor, you'd have a tough time finding him at first because he just kind of blends in with everybody else on Kentucky's roster height wise. You have to like, Oh, I see his face. That is Oscar Sheway. So yeah, that, that to me is what stands out as K-State. Like you just don't face a ton of dudes like that. Um And this, that's the other thing with a roster that gets thrown together in this situation. If you think about a lot of the Baylor teams that Jerome Tang was an assistant coach for, they eventually had some bigger guys inside that you could kind of throw that way and be more, you know, prepared for when you're throwing a a team together on the fly. And really, you know, that building came in like the last two months of the summer for this team, you're going to have some holes in some areas. And ultimately it's a matter of, are you trying to do what gives you the best chance to compete in the regular season? Or are you trying to do what, if you get to March, it gives you the best chance of success there. Cause like theoretically I'm sure Jerome Tang could have gone and found some like seven foot dudes in the portal if he wanted to, but those guys would not have been of any service in games in the big 12 against Kansas or Baylor or whoever else. Like you just wouldn't have had that. So that's it's unfortunate. Like you run into that and that, that element adds um, a, a not so great matchup for K state because then the guy with your most length is Naquan Tomlin and like Naquan Tomlin just isn't like physically strong enough to handle a guy like golden, who is just, he's not only tall, but he is, he is a well-built individual and that, that made it really tough for him.
1: Yeah. It showed that K-State's best uh, or K-State's number one go-to option in terms of guarding the post whenever they had someone who was more physical than them was typically to just front the guy and Ish Massoud could not front Golden yep. very well in that situation. But um, I, I I just – I keep thinking about the fact that you go 10 for 20. Like You tell me K-State was going to go 10 for 22. Marquise Noel was going to shoot 5 for 11 from 3 and have 12 assists. Like if you told me just Marquise Noel goes 5 for 11 from 3, he has 12 assists. Guess the score. I would have said K-State by 15.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That part is a it, not not even knowing that he scores thirty points, but that part just is is so confusing to me. And I think it, it it's and to the to the previous point of like do you do you coach your team to be best in March or do you coach your team to win to like what is going to win you league games? I don't think that Jerome Tang had the advantage of coaching his team for what is best in March. Yeah, because this team was always in overachieve mode and always in uh, let's take advantage of this season while we have it uh, mode. And they had no, they had no reason to think that they were going. I know that the story came out that at some point earlier this season, Marquise Noel started like breaking down huddles at practice with national champs. And Tang was like, okay, I guess we're going with that. Um, I think that was in like a CJ Moore, yeah. CJ Moore feature. Yeah. Um, but, like, this team wasn't supposed – this team wasn't supposed to be here today. So, lost – I know we've gotten to 37 minutes and 38 seconds on the the stream. Yeah. But now is the moment where we can maybe admit to a moral victory and what is, as we talked about on Thursday night, in the top five percentile range of outcomes for this season and this group and this roster construction and, like, overall – just a really successful year for K state.
0: Yeah, I think I think in the end that and we'll dive into the the big picture reflection stuff because this team deserves that more than, you know, 37 minutes of criticism for a loss that they they played their butts off in. They had their star player, one of the best players in the country, play like that um and and some I mean the the refs didn't it, the refs did not Lose K State this game. The refs didn't play a huge role in this game, but they had some bad whistles and bad moments that just weren't advantageous to K State. Like
1: if they also team, fouled out Greenley,
0: yeah, they did. They did in the end, and he got fouled out on kind of a BS one, two at the end, where he like he's diving for a loose ball. Um, this is one of those that like I I follow him on Twitter, and, and the day after games, they go through. If you follow uh, like umpire scorecards on Twitter, and they go through and they go you know, say the Royals play the Reds. The Reds got plus 0.76 runs because of these calls that went in their favor. And it'll show, like, these three pitches were the worst, like, uh, on a 1-2 count instead of uh, this being called strike three like it should have been, it was called ball two. Uh, on this three zero count, strike one was called ball four. Like, it goes through and it equates that. And if you did that for this game and there was a way to measure that in basketball – You would look at, I guess the, mm, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. You would look at the ferocity of the fouls that were committed and you would look at K-States and go, those were, those were a tad weak. Like the Gasson one at the end that he fouls out on looks like a foul, but the FAU guys tightrope in the sideline, he's already kind of leaning and eh, that like, that's a tough one. Um, and so I think that's where you look at this and go, okay, K State did have like it didn't go their way, but they they lost this game themselves. But on the reflection side, the one and then we and I'll say one thing on it that's not positive, and then we can dive into the positives here. The one negative is in a lot of other circumstances um, at the end of the season, and you get to this point with all the other things that led to this, like first year head coach. You didn't know what it was going to be like. You only had two guys on the roster from last year. Um, all these different things. The one thing at the end of the day that stings, and this ties into everything else, and, and this is why um, it's tough to have that, you know, moral victory type thing, is you lost to Florida Atlantic in the Elite Eight. Like, y- yes, K-State at the start of the year should not have been in the Elite Eight. They should not have been uh, a couple a couple of buckets away from the final four this year. Absolutely should not have been. But they got to this point and it's just Florida freaking Atlantic that you got to get past. Just like in 2018, where, hey, that's a good building year. You know, you, you made the, the NCAA tournament in 2017, 2018. Look at that. Nine. Hey, you won a game. You lucked into it. You got to a second weekend. That's big experience. Holy crap. Just be Kentucky in this. Sweet 16 like that was a crazy game and now now all you have to do is beat Loyola to go to the final four like yeah sign me up and then you know the Butler one we talked about is a little bit different but that one's still like it's one of those deals where it's tough to have that moral victory feeling when you lose to a team that you should beat more times than not and Florida Atlantic is very good a lot of people went to on Twitter like they're 34 and three now like you don't win that many games on accident. At some point, winning 34 out of 37 games in the season is advantageous to you. Like Florida Atlantic knew how to win more games at the end than K State did, and that that's just a fact because they had more wins. Um, but it's it's it is tough, and that's the one thing where like I'll give people credit if if they don't want to if they don't want to do the moral victory thing right now because it, it was Florida Atlantic, and, and again, it's a K State loss to a mid major team that you should beat to get to the Final Four, and now next year you're going on 60 years without a final four appearance at a program that has been to like the sixth or seventh most elite 8s in the entire college basketball world yet you've only been to four final fours and the last one was before you know we really start to to now like the the expiration date has come and gone for those final fours to really like mean something in the grand scheme of things of, of basketball right now like K-State isn't getting K-State is not getting credit for those final fours from anybody under the age of 40 right now. And for anybody like it's like Nebraska football, Nebraska. Hey, congrats. You were awesome in the eighties and nineties. 18 year old kids do not give a shit right now about what you did in the eighties and nineties, because you have been really bad. Now K-State basketball has been better than Nebraska football since their heydays ended in, in both sides. But that's the, that's the tough part about it and everything else. Now, Sliding into the, the big picture or moral victory, whatever you want to call it, this was an incredible first year for K-State basketball in so many different ways. It highlights just how uh, big time of a move it was for G- Gene Taylor to get Jerome Tang. And I think the best part about it is it doesn't feel like it's a fluke. It doesn't feel like it was just K-State putting it together and, oh, hey, look at this. We're in the NCAA tournament. Oh, look, we're in the Elite Eight. Like, they were a three seed. They finished third in the toughest basketball conference in the country. And it's the toughest basketball conference we've seen in a long, long time. Like you don't end up there by accident. Um, and, and it's only, you know, I, I, I think next year there will probably be a little bit of a drop-off because um, you lose a lot of guys. Again, you lose three of your four best players in Keontae Marquise and, and Desi Sills. And um, there's going to be a lot of building and relying on different guys. But this thing is is built for the future now, and you can see that um, everything that Jerome Tang learned in his almost two decades in Waco is something that he's going to be able to translate to K State. And if he can do this with a hodgepodge roster in, um, in in just less than a year, I'm excited to see what you can do when you actually get um, your you know your full talent with you where you get multiple recruiting classes in you've been able to establish yourself more and I think K-State is going to be a hot destination in the portal now because they went on this run they have the Keontae Johnson story they can sell and they've got coaches and a personality everywhere on this roster that people want to be a part of um, I mean they had a there was a five-star kid that they're recruiting that was in attendance at Madison Square Garden tonight night that he just wanted to come watch K-State in the Elite Eight that is a big deal and that's the kind of stuff that this staff is going to be able to do. So that, to me, uh, is is the most beautiful thing about it. And and that should not be lost, should not be forgotten. This team should be appreciated for everything they did. It sucks that – I'm not even going to say that they weren't able to get it done, that they lost this game, that K-State d- didn't win this game. That's the fair way of putting it because, you know, there's the old saying about, you know, K-State didn't lose, Florida Atlantic won it, whatever. Florida Atlantic won that game by doing things a little bit better than K State tonight. K State, unfortunately, the time was up on Keontae Johnson to have a game with foul trouble, and he fouls out. It's just it's tough luck. But at the end of the day, you'll be able to look back. It was an awesome season, and it was a great way to uh, set set the foundation and, and get people ready for what the Jerome Tang era will hopefully be like for a long time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it makes sense at the end of the day. That the way K State loses is massively getting out rebounded, and Keontae Johnson having foul trouble. Like at the end of the day, those are the two things. Uh, those are the two things that make the most sense. Um, in that sense, it's not inexplicable. It is inexplicable, and it's it's unbelievably frustrating. But if they were going to lose, that 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 is that is what you would have expected that they lose because of. Um, I will say from the to to rag on and and maybe hit on the point of like you just had to beat Florida Atlantic you also only would have had to beat Creighton or San Diego State like yeah. not a not teams that have high pedigree to play in the national championship game uh against and against possibly
0: Texas who you already beat and should have beaten the second time
1: yeah which I, and I think I think now Florida Atlantic's in the Final Four. You're getting Creighton or San Diego State. Like, it's going to be a weird tournament. You know what's going to happen? UConn's going to win the title. And I know that this game is happening right now as we speak. Uh, That's probably – like, my end thought at the end of the night is just like, weird tournament, all right, let's hand the trophy to UConn. Um, Because that's probably what is going to happen and is what has happened every time that there's been an outlier tournament. Sure, yeah, UConn just wins it. So – uh, that's kind of the overarching thought in that sense, but yeah, I mean, work is cut out for drum. Like that's the, the crappy part is he's in the portal tomorrow. Uh, yep. there's no time for him to mourn the loss of Noel and Johnson and all of the guys that have to move on, but you've got good, good young guards coming in. You don't typically win with good young guards in the big 12 uh, without having an old one to kind of usher them along. So you need to find an old guard. You need to find a scoring wing that replaces Keontae. And then I think that the hope is just that Naquan steps forward and then Taj Manning and Jarrell Colbert step up. And then you've got a a formidable front court, but like, Unless we've been sold a bag of fake goods, uh, Taj Manning is supposed to be a stud. So
0: yeah, I mean, there's the, there have been rave reviews about Taj Manning and what he can do, um, and, and we'll see what ends up coming out of it. That's the that's the tough part, and and I said it I, I, somewhere along the way, middle of the year, and I, I really do believe it. Um, if, if people remember how things went down. Down, and I'm sure they do. 2000 now, 2008 was a lot different. Uh, it it had a lot of the same feelings because of the personnel, but not the like team success. Um, 2008, Frank Martin's first year, NCAA tournament. They beat USC in the first round, but very similar to um, this team. They had guys that were only going to be here for one season. I mean, technically, Bill Walker was here for a season and a half, but. Uh, Michael Beasley was obviously not coming back. Bill Walker was not coming back. Um, you also lost an experienced guard on that team and Clint Stewart, who was a senior and was graduating. Like that team lost a lot. And in 2009, the foundational pieces were there on that roster. It was the first season of Jacob Pullen and Denny Clemente together, but Pullen was a sophomore and he didn't have extreme, you know, once in a lifetime talent around him and there was some stuff that they had to learn about. Now, their resume, you could argue they should have been in the field in 09, just like you could have in 07, but they didn't make it to the NCAA tournament. They went to the NIT in 2009. And then in 2010, they're back. They go on their run, and that's the one thing. And I don't want to be, like, negative right now, which is exactly what this sounds like, is being like, hey, get ready for the NIT run next March. Um, But just, like, people need to be prepared for that, that even though this thing could keep building, um, year two is going to be – In in some ways, now that knowing what we know, year two might be tougher for Jerome Tang than year one was. Because Marquise Noel, maybe it was a good thing that he didn't have any teammates this summer. And the only thing that he could do is bust his ass in the gym and become a better shooter than he was ever before. And I guess he must have just like fantasized and dreamed in his head about passing to teammates because his passing went to just a brand new uh, level and everything else. Um, like there's just so much that, that, uh, that K-State was fortunate for this year. The Keontae Johnson thing, uh, ends up working out in their favor and like none of this stuff is like accidental, but it is one of those deals where year one went as perfect, almost as perfectly as it could have gone for K-State. I think we said this the other day, like if you went through and, um, you went through and you were like, okay, you run the simulation a thousand times. What outcome is the best for K-State? This is like literally number three on the outcome list of best things that could have happened because now we know that there are simulations out there that K-State beats Florida Atlantic, they beat Creighton or San Diego State, and then they get to play Texas another time, and they're able to beat Texas a second time, and they're national champions. That's number one. Number two is you just beat Florida Atlantic, and you get there. But number three is you finish third in the toughest Big 12 that we've ever seen. You have an emotional, amazing home victory against Kansas in overtime that is the, the puff your chest out moment and say, we've arrived, we are here, this is the real deal. And you have this fun season that you go on this Elite Eight run where you handled a force in Oscar Shebway and you hit big-time shots in that game. You have another all-time overtime-bound Elite Eight uh, Sweet 16 game against Michigan State and you get to the elite 8 and you it was another heck of a game but now K-State knows what it's like to be on the opposite end of one of those great NCAA tournament games but you're the loser. Like 2010 didn't happen against Xavier. 2018 didn't happen against Kentucky. This tournament didn't happen against Kentucky. Didn't happen against Michigan State. You just got bit by it in the end uh by by Florida Atlantic. Um After the game, Jerome Tang, uh, a quote that he uh, had at his podium, he said, If we can't be great, if we can't be grateful in these times, then all the love and joy we talk about is fraud, and we're not frauds. Um, That's uh, Jerome Tang's quote after the game. And again, there's uh, his full press conference uh, we'll have up on the site later today, as well as all the uh, breakout sessions. And that's another thing um, to, to take into consideration is. Um, to me, like, they, 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 this K-State team was a legitimately good basketball team, and um, everything that happened this year wasn't fraudulent, and they earned it. Like, if you look at teams that had the paths that they did in this tournament, like, K-State was about the only one that played the conventional path in, in their tournament. Them in Texas. Texas is the only one that has played a conventional path to this point in time. Um, and K-State earned it in those two really tough games against – Kentucky and Michigan state.
1: Yeah. I, I have not been able to hear everything that was said post game. Um, I'm just scrolling through Twitter and, and seeing reaction. A lot of the stuff from the, from the local guys, uh, especially at least my coworkers at KCTV. But, uh, there's been, I will just say I'm a lot more impressed by the way that Jerome Tang has handled losing than I am by John Calipari and Tom Izzo. Um, that speaks volumes, um, and overall, that's a that's a very positive thing to say. The quote that you even read was part of his like minute long opening statement, so I'm sure that there was other good stuff in there. But uh, K State continues to win the press conference, um, even while losing.
0: Yeah, I mean, hey, it's 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 ironic because uh, there are a lot of non-K-State fans that were laughing at uh, Jerome Tang winning the press conference uh, on day one. And here we are close to 365 days later and Jerome Tang has still won the press conference. Um, actually, I, I I don't know, yesterday or sometime in the next couple of days is going to be the full year anniversary since the uh, opening press conference for Jerome it Tang. It was a at couple K-State. days ago. Um, yeah, so they, they, I know that like, like a week ago or six days ago or whatever is like the anniversary of like the news came out and then yeah, the introduction sometime around here. So I don't know. It's uh, it's going to be fun to follow K-State basketball. It's, it's certainly back. And that's a good thing because that's the other thing that needs to be talked about here in the reflection of all this is that Jerome Tang, he didn't need to go to an elite eight. He didn't need to win what 11 or twelve big 12 games. games there this year, 26 games, He didn't have to do all that to do what he did with the fan base because he brought K-State fans all the way back on board for basketball, which it was impressive to do in a one-year stretch where it was just so down and, and people did not care and they were content with losing because they were just, it was time for a change. Like you have a coach around for a decade and they've only won in five of those 10 seasons. It becomes time for a change. And that's ultimately what happened there. And for him to get the fan base 100% bought back in to where even the it was, you know, before the Kansas game, he had Bramlage pretty darn full for a game against Oklahoma state early in conference play. He had that game after KU a Saturday where the chiefs were playing against Texas tech. He had Bramlage full and other various games. And they fought through, unfortunate moments early in the year where the Wichita State game is a Saturday night and everybody's in Dallas celebrating a Big 12 football championship. And then the opener for Big 12 play is against West Virginia and everybody's in New Orleans at the Sugar Bowl with K-State football. And uh, then everybody was there and they were locked in and K-State basketball became fun again. And it feels like it's going to be really fun for a really long time to come. And that's another thing that Jerome Tang and his entire staff uh, deserves a lot of credit for
1: very much. So uh, I keep going through the box score to look at a couple other things. And I will just say only two scores and double figures. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I know that the key number for K-State all season, Keontae had nine, Desi had nine. Uh, so a couple guys close to double figures. Um, and I think Tom Gilbert uh K-State's SID has always kind of put an emphasis at least in post game mentioning to us K-State's record I believe when they have four and double figures I mean that's typically a really good barometer for most teams yeah. but FAU had four and double figures um so that that is one of those things where it, you just probably wish you could have gotten and I think Desi had all nine in the first half um so you just you just needed a third or a fourth to step up, and when the third is your best player or your second best player, uh, one of your All Americans sitting on the bench, that is uh, certainly the, less. This than
0: is I mean. this is one of those scenarios. Uh, back into some in game reflection real quick, because you brought it up, and then we'll we'll dive into some individual stuff, and then be done for the night. Is you look at how it plays out, and. K-State needed the game that they had against Michigan State to beat Michigan State because Michigan State had a game worthy of them getting a win in that moment. And K-State had six guys in double figures, I think, Thursday night, and they just got great performances all around uh, for a team that, as we know, only has two dudes that are bucket getters, essentially, and and Keontae and Marquise, and then some other guys that can rise up, but they're also sometimes going to be really quiet. And for Florida Atlantic, this is where the draw kind of worked out. They play a Tennessee team without their best player, who also isn't like a dynamite offensive team. And Florida Atlantic, even though they got some looks, like they didn't need their all-world game to happen against Tennessee. And they were essentially due for one. They had not shot to their level in this tournament. And they get into this game with K-State where – they had their game where guys just played at a different level that they normally don't like Greenlee tonight ends up with 16 and he's four of six from three Brian Greenlee on the season averages 7.1 points per game. And so like he normally that's not the type of game that you're going to get out of him. Um, It's just not. And, and unfortunately it it bit K state tonight. Uh, Greenlee only had, Uh, three other games this season with 14 points or more. He had 14 against Bryant, 23 against Eastern Michigan, and 19 against Rice. Um, So tonight him going off for what he did is a little bit different. And then in addition to that, he only had like three or four other games where he was in double figures this year. So Florida Atlantic, like they just had their game where other guys stepped up, made their plays. And K-State tonight had the total opposite where, um, like you're saying – Marquise is the only other one in double figures with Naquan Tomlin, and the fact that you weren't able to get one of your normal pieces like Keontae to that mark, because another Keontae basket, essentially, that that is what the difference is in this game. Now, Keontae had chances to make up for it. His 0 of 3 at the free throw line hurts, um, and K-State missing free throws is going to sting. But Florida Atlantic, they played a game that, that their stars played like stars, And they got the boost they needed from somebody that normally doesn't step up. And unfortunately for K-State, one star played like a star. The other couldn't be on the floor long enough to showcase himself playing like a star and nobody else had that special game left in the tank tonight. And that's what did K-State in. So just unfortunate. And one of those deals where maybe K-State genuinely would have been better off playing a team like Tennessee, which also seems to make sense because Florida Atlantic beat them in the Sweet 16. So if you could lose in the Sweet 16 like they did at Florida Atlantic, we're probably right in saying that Tennessee would have been a better game for K-State to have seen here because K-State scored 76 points tonight. I don't think Tennessee was going to score 76 points tonight.
1: Yeah. Um man. I I thought that I had my bracket pre East region was Memphis K-State elite eight. Um, and FAU like barely got by Memphis, I would say Mm -hmm. got the benefit of a good whistle. Well, they trailed late
0: against Fairleigh Dickinson, too.
1: Yeah, Um, but they got the benefit of a very good whistle at the end of the Memphis game, Uh, and I'm certainly not bitter at all, aside from thinking that I would have nailed the exact Elite Eight, uh, aside from that. Yeah. Um, And and I think that Kendrick Davis versus Marquise Noel would have been better off for K-State than... This collective, this collective unit of like, not even, I don't even know, like coaches are so good at at game plans and scouting reports and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, there's got to be a little bit of value to just like knowing teams, knowing who dudes are and just like collectively, I think K-State probably would have known a little bit more about Tennessee than FAU. Well, Um, and you just, you just, you never want to see the team that is so accustomed to winning because late in games, mm-hmm. they will, they will almost always do the right thing because, like, it's, yeah. I understand the Ken Palm situation. And when you win so many games and you win so many close games, your luck rating is going to be higher because the law of law- large mm-hmm. averages is just going to say you're probably not supposed to do such a thing. But at the same time, and this is where I think it was fascinating uh, with Jerome Tang and the way that he coached the end of the game because we haven't really, like, K State has ended up on the positive side of most five point or less games. The way that they, after they got, what I think it was when they got down one on the Cam Carter three, they mm-hmm. called a timeout. Was yeah. that the last timeout? And that was I the think last timeout. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an example of, like, you're down one, 75-74, with how many seconds were left at that point? Let me look. Like eight,
0: nine, sorry. eight, eight, eight point something uh, is what it was. 75-74. 75-74
1: was, uh, oh, the second to last timeout. 24 seconds left. The last timeout comes after Tomlin makes the layup at eight seconds left. Mm, uh, that's right, yeah. In that situation, I don't know how you feel about this, that's not a situation where I'm setting up a timeout because you allow the offense to get themselves set up as well. And you're in a spot where you're fouling regardless. Uh, Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, that was the only thing I thought was unique is we really haven't seen much of what Jerome Tang does in late game situations. When K state's losing most of the time in the late game situations, it felt like they were winning this year um, and they were playing from ahead and in this situation they kind of had their backs against the wall and we hadn't seen that and it was interesting to see that that was the way that it was i guess attacked from their per- their perspective
0: yeah and i i need to go back and look here at the end just to check on uh how just to make sure that i'm i'm correct in and what i think the situation was um well hang on let me go and see if i can find the exact spot that i need um i'm i'm trying to see so yeah florida atlantic they end the game with three timeouts they they did not use a timeout in the second half so that includes them getting down by seven points and then the comeback and then late game situations they didn't have to use one of their timeouts at all and i'm i'm with you i To me, it doesn't make a ton of sense with, you know, seven point whatever on the clock, eight point whatever, to use a timeout when you know, hey, try and foul. Let's, you know, maybe they're a little, you know, on edge right now. Like, let's not give a chance to calm them down. Um, I'm with you on that. The other part, you know, you were talking about like playing Tennessee, maybe it helps. I think it's beneficial when you go into a game and you know who your biggest enemy is. I think it's a lot tougher when you go into a game like against Florida Atlantic where, they don't have any guys that are averaging numbers that would hit you over the head. It's just a lot more balanced. And so when there are a lot more enemies that are out there that you have to worry about, especially with a team like K-State that was thrown together so quickly and, and everything else, you weren't able to build out like a true full roster. And you know that you have deficiencies in some areas. It's really tough. Like one of the reasons why that they they were able to handle a team like Kansas at home this year is those ancillary pieces – had a chance and show showed a lot of times that they could disappear for Kansas. And so it was, you really only have to worry about Jalen Wilson and if he gets his, whatever, and he did get his in that game, but you know that, Hey, let's just lock down everybody else. You can let somebody do it with Florida Atlantic. You just didn't know who that guy was to let get it. And you also couldn't give anybody else uh, an open look anywhere. So I, I think, I think it's beneficial at times to play a team, that has one common enemy or the guy that you know, as opposed to whatever else it may be. So I don't know, just uh, very, very tough uh, to see how, how things ended up working out. So we'll see uh, how, how things turn for K-State. And like you said, like the, the portal uh, Jerome Tang is going to have to be in it tomorrow. Cause that's the other thing. Like guys have already been able to work the portal uh, if they're not playing, which is kind of a, a crazy thing. Uh, individually. Uh, for this season, obviously Keontae Johnson makes a pretty big impact for his one season in Manhattan. Marquise Noel has a massive impact for his two seasons in Manhattan, mainly for bridging the gap between Bruce Weber and Jerome Tang. And um, the fact that he put in the work to improve himself to this level this year is very impressive, but his voice being the guy that stood up and was like, I'm staying with Jerome Tang and helping lead and guide guys that got here then and joined in. Is a very big deal, and uh, that's. I mean, there are, there are some guys that have. I mean, I, I won't throw Beasley in this because it was a one and done type situation. But there are some guys out there that their impact uh, in just a couple of years at, at K State. There's not many guys that are going to top Marquise Noel. Um, Mitch Richmond is the only one that immediately comes to my mind that you can say he was at K State for two years, had an awesome career. Uh, he was a part of of tournament teams and everything like. Mitch Richmond is probably still ahead of Marquise Noel. Um, but Marquise Noel is right up there. Denny Clemente was here for, for two seasons. Um, so there are some other guys out there. But you can't say enough good things about Marquise Noel and what he did. And uh, that's a dude that ev- even in a loss, uh, K-State fans should be proud that, that he was a wildcat and that one of the best players in college basketball this year played on your team. Two of them did. Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel being All-Americans this year, um, that's something to, to be prideful about um, even you know when, when things feel as crappy as they do right now.
1: Uh, here's where I would say that there was an outlier statistic as I was going through uh, college basketball reference and some game logs. Mm-hmm. K-State, to this point of the season, was undefeated – In games where they had 12 turnovers or fewer. Yep. And they only had 12 tonight and lost. Yeah. Um, And they, that's, they, and, and, and that's why the rebounding kills you because you still took more shots than the Owls did. Uh, It was a 58 54 shot advantage for K State because they forced so many turnovers mm -hmm. and they didn't turn the ball over too many times. But when you get doubled up in rebounding 44 to 22, like you, you just, that kills you.
0: Yep, no, that's tough. I, I, When you said that, I knew where you were going to be going with it and, and what it was going to be. So, yeah, just uh, tough for K-State there, and and everything will move on. Uh, any final thoughts from this season? I know there will be different writing pieces that we have done over the next however long on the website and, and probably something uh, better and, and less in the moment uh, later on down the road. But, but uh, final thoughts before we wrap up tonight.
1: Retire Marquise Noel's jersey.
0: You can make a strong case for it. I mean, they certainly I would have at a, played.
1: I, they certainly I, would have mean, played for KU. Well, yeah, I was going to say. I know that the the criteria at KU is if you are an All American, you get your jersey retired. And I would just say that uh, at K State, given the fact that there's been a a, a lot fewer All Americans, few a few
0: less All Americans. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I would say that. I would say at any program, if you go an all-American season, you should be. Your jersey should get hung up in the rafters. Uh, If you're one of the 15 best players in the sport that year, uh, you should get it. Um, So, I would, I would uh, clamor for that. Considering second, and I mean just a a record-breaking season for assists in school history, Um, second nationally in assists. Uh, per game, because I think he's going to I think Marquise Noel's tournament might have even passed him up on Yuri Collins uh, from a per game mm-hmm. standpoint, but certainly from a maybe from a total assist standpoint as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just that's what I would I would I would stand over that and be like, you know, when crazy stuff like that happens and you have these memorable performances like you should do the correct thing in honoring them. Um, And that means finding, I know that logistically there has been issues with getting Paul in his Jersey retired. And I know that there's probably people who are like, Michael Beasley wasn't there long enough, but those
0: real quick, those people are idiots. That's uh, that's my, my take on it. I just want people to know that like Beasley should
1: absolutely be
0: in the rafters. Like he was 1000%. He was the Um, linchpin to K-State basketball becoming K-State basketball again. So, yeah,
1: correct. So, wonderful year from Marquise and I know that he was only there for two years but he like just put it up there just put it up there do the right thing and find a way to remember your good your great players the way that they are supposed to be remembered um and I'm bummed that we don't get k-state Creighton because I think Creighton's gonna win tomorrow and I think that that would have been a freaking unbelievable final four game um yeah yeah that's like, I understand Florida Atlantic's a great team. I don't think that they're a fun, fun watch.
0: I would agree with that. Uh, yes. So th- this is uh, just to, to note in everything. Uh, Mitch Richmond is – he has his jersey retired, and he only played at K-State for two seasons. Um, Mitch Richmond in his career at K-State averaged 20.7 points a game. He ended up with six rebounds a game and 3.2 assists a game. Um, and the difference being for Mitch Richmond is he played in the eighties. He was on that team that lost to KU in the elite eight, which by the way, I was during my halftime research. That is the last time K state led an elite eight game at halftime, uh, was the, the 1988 elite eight against KU that they ultimately lost. Um, Marquis Noel's impact on K state is going to be so much more than, him being an all-American and the numbers he put up like that contributes to what he's about but like what I was saying like him bridging the gap and being the guy that from day one's going to be associated with Jerome Tang and what started this all back up for K-State is such a significant deal um that there is a there's not only a hey you had the numbers to back it up but you had such a significance to this team and this program that you deserve some recognition in that way like let me equate this to something. Um, it is officially baseball season for me. My consolation that we won't be in Houston is that I at least get to go to opening day on Thursday, uh, and, and, and share that beautiful moment with my wife. Nothing I love more than opening day. I probably would have loved the final four a little bit more, but never seen my school go to one of those. So I don't know what that's like. Um, I'm not an Alex Gordon guy. I think he, uh, was a waste of money, overrated, overhyped. um, just a, another product of Dayton Moore being bad at his job. But Alex Gordon was a great guy on great teams with one hell of a moment in game one of the 2015 World Series that set that thing on the course of the Royals winning it all. And so Alex Gordon, be, you know, baseball, you actually retire the number. People can wear the number four for the rest of the, you know, the Royals' existence. That's fine. I'm I'm not upset about that. Alex Gordon deserves a statue or something for what he was a part of being around as long as he was and having that moment. And Marquise Noel, he deserves his Jersey in the rafters. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think that's just prisoner of the moment type stuff. He had an awesome two year career. He was a part of something really special with the birth of what Jerome Tang is building here. And he had an all time NCAA tournament. Like you said it to start the show his tournament ends up being more Steph Curry than Kimball Walker. And for people that don't understand that reference, Steph Curry's what has ended in the elite eight against Kansas. In and it ended
1: and it ended with him not getting a shot up and him giving the ball to a teammate. Yes. Very that true. Actually did get a shot up on like ish, but very and, similar endings as well.
0: Kimba ends it in 2011 by taking Connecticut and winning the title against Butler. Screw those guys. Um, so yeah, I just think like you can't you can't understate how important uh, Marquise Noel was to K State and the fact that not only was it that he was the the first guy to step up and decide that he was staying here, but the fact that he was so vocal in his love and support of Jerome Tang from the second he got hired all the way to today when his career at K State ended. It's so important to have your your leader step up and do that and it's all it also helps when your leader does that and he's able to score 30 points uh in games for you and dish out a ton of assists so um there was another point on assists i was gonna make but it doesn't matter because we've wrapped it up and the game's over case they only had 14 assists today 12 of the 14 came from marquise that's another telling point is that K State assisted on way under fifty percent of their their made buckets tonight. The, their magic number this year was sixty three percent on assisted buckets. They were twenty three and zero in games where they assisted on sixty three percent of their made field goals this year. So that uh, that is that, and that's a, a good hour fifteen plus of everything. Um, I'm I'm probably done watching basketball uh, for tonight. It's going to be really tough to watch tomorrow. Um, I guess I need to go support my Lady Vols tonight, uh, see see what they do in the NCAA tournament, go throw on the uh, Rocky Top Soul shirt that I bought earlier this week in Knoxville with Alec, um, <laughs> and support the girls uh, as they try to get to the Final Four. But uh, I'll probably watch the games next weekend, and I'll be rooting as hard as one can for the Aztecs or Blue Jays. And I do think it would be pretty ironic if we get to the end of the year and as much as people want to talk about how weird and wacky this NCAA tournament was, if it's Creighton, UConn, in the national title, it's like, oh, that's a national title game that people could have like seen happening you know, at the start of the season. Now, UConn, I guess maybe they made their little burst and that's what they needed to ha- be seen for people to believe in them. But Creighton was like a top-five team preseason, and they Creighton, just didn't have things go their way.
1: Creighton, UConn, and the national championship game would have made perfect sense on like Thanksgiving day. Yep. And then what, and then you would have been like, you're taking freaking crazy pills. If you think that you Creighton and UConn are going to play in the title game on like Valentine's day <laughs> and, yeah. and now you're here. So,
0: you know, I, I, this is uh this is for people to answer. And uh, if you're listening live, you can say it in the YouTube chat, or if you're um you're gonna you're you know you're listening on the podcast you can tweet at me or something as a do we want texas to win to to prop the just, big 12 up again
1: i used as soon as you said you were it's gonna be hard to watch basketball <laughs> i i was i was uh as a good journalist putting away the question of are you rooting for pack or are you rooting for texas tomorrow um Oh, yeah, that's State. right. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Hook him. Yeah. Let's yeah. <laughs> I need Alec to put on his longhorn
1: shirt now. I will say I was there last night. Nigel Pack was freaking unbelievable yep. against Houston. Yeah,
0: he uh, he hey, he he maybe would have helped this team a game or two this year if he was still around. Maybe that's, tonight. Yeah, maybe tonight to, to have and that again, I you know, we, something comes up, tie back into it. Um, that's one of those things that for K-State, like if you look at it, that's going to be the future, is they're going to have more than just two main scorers. And that's what happened at, at on those Baylor teams uh, that Jerome Tang was a part of. Like if you go and look at how things ended up working out for them, like they were able to come through and they were able to have X amount of players that that were talented enough and able to contribute in in some way that like you had reliable scoring options. Like if you go look at um, this season for Baylor, they had four guys that averaged in double figures. Um, That's, that's pretty good. I don't know that you're always going to get that if you're K-State. Last year, let's see what ends up being the, the number last year. They had uh, three guys that averaged over 13 points a game. And then they had three guys that averaged close to 10 points a game. On last year's team, everybody knows about how great their guard play is. That's another thing that they're that K State can expect to have. The year that Baylor won the national title, they had 16.7 a game from Butler, 15.9 from ACOT, and 14.0 from Davion Mitchell. And then they had two other guys that had nine and eight points a game. Like that is what's going to be coming for K State. And that's how this roster is going to be built. And that's why at the end of the day, you can you can for once in your life suck it up and be a moral victories guy if you're that tough guy out there. I don't like moral victories either, because I'm like, yeah, it's a, a loss is a loss, whatever. But the fact that Jerome Tang was able to somehow cobble together two all-time players and get the the effort out of them and scoring, and then put enough things and pieces around them to get an elite eight run and be a bounce or two away from a final four is really impressive and really telling about where the direction of this thing is going to go. And that's why if this team can go to an elite eight, even though they had two all Americans and everything from Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel, that's why to me, like, we know that this is not a fluke, that this is the real deal. And this is what the expectation for K-State basketball is going to be moving forward. Like this is not to tie it back in and, you know, perfect bow and you go back to the expect to win line from Tang against Kansas, but genuinely like the expectation is going to be in the future what this season was like. Baylor people this year, as much as they're accustomed to painful losses in the tournament in past years, losing in the second round is not what Baylor basketball is now. Baylor but, basketball should be something more.
1: But my counterpoint to that would be, and this is very important, and I don't, I don't love telling people how to fan and how to enjoy your team personally, but college basketball is different than any other sport. Yep. Single elimination, way more fluky. I know that football is single elimination as well, but that game is yeah. a little, yeah. a little If less you're the better fluky. team in
0: football, you're going to win 90% of the time. You're typically going to win.
1: Um, but I will say this. If Jerome Tang is what we think he is, if Jerome Tang has this program in the elite bows as what we think he is, he's going to have years like Baylor this year. He's going to have years like KU last year, maybe where and and I would I would use these Big Twelve programs and and what KU and Baylor have done as an example. There mm-hmm. is an art too, and the best way to have success in March, I guess Gonzaga tonight is a good example of this as well. The best way to have success in March is just to keep having as many chances as possible with really good teams. Yeah. There will, if if Tang is what we think he is, he's going to have years where he has a team that is probably better than this team in the regular season gets a better seed and guess what they could lose in the round of 32 they could lose in the sweet 16 and you could be like failure didn't make the elite eight didn't make the final four how did how did this k-state team make the elite eight and that team didn't and like yeah over time you kind of unless you just get lucky and you hit it with one run and you kevin ollie that thing (laughs) like you you need to just swing the pin swing at the piñata and i love that analogy uh, as many times as possible and just Absolutely. hope you hit it every once in a while or uh, i mean the the worst analogy is just like you're kind of playing the lottery mm-hmm. but if you get a one or a two seed you're playing you're playing like your local raffle where you ha- and you have extra tickets is yes. is the best way is the best way of saying it so if you, you if you're at the parent teacher council or whatever meeting and you've got forty percent of the tickets. That's what what mm-hmm. that's what a one or a two seed is, and that's what you're you're hoping for. So like, just keep stacking seasons of ones and twos and three seeds, and you've got a good chance. And it's super super hard to do that. And that's that's what you should be atta- uh, striving for. But just remember, there will make there may be years in the future where you have a better regular season, a worse postseason. There might be a year where you have a worse a worse regular season, a better postseason. March is fickle. So who knows what's going to happen?
0: As I like to say, get the puck on net. Whoever gets more pucks on net in a hockey game, they're going to win nine times out of ten. I don't know if that's whoever, really true, but I just know that's how it feels when I'm playing NHL on the playstation. So pucks yeah. on net, that's the most important thing.
1: Winning winning national titles unless you are UConn in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> unless you are UConn. Winning a national title is ultimately just who can stack ones and two seeds more often and give themselves more chances. And that's why KU and North yes. Carolina have won a ton and Duke has won a ton.
0: That's a great point. And I think that's something that it was, it was so weird to me. Uh, I, I don't know who posted it, but it was, it was some account um, yesterday, however many days ago, was the day that, that Ku beat Duke in that 2018 Elite Eight game before they they got smashed by Villanova, which the Big Twelve had back to like a two-year, three-year stretch where they had blown out teams in the in the Final Four. But prior to that game, I guess I knew it in the moment, but it's it's one of those things. It's wild to look back on. So Bill Self was in his fifteenth season at Kansas, and he'd only been to two Final Fours since he was at Ku. And that's like the best indicator of it. Of Kansas has been the most dominant team for the last twenty years in college basketball. They haven't the missed races, an NCAA, you know? yeah. They haven't missed an NCAA tournament. They have had great players. They have one of the best coaches that the game has ever seen. And up until you know, however many years ago, like they went into an Elite Eight where Bill Self had lost a lot of games like that uh, at KU. Now he had the national championship that he got in his fifth year as head coach. That helps, um, but his in two of his first three seasons he lost in the first round um, with teams that won the Big Twelve and that won twenty close to twenty five games. Like that is another indicator of how wild it can be. And now Kansas is fortunate that in the last you know f- they just had a four year stretch where uh, in four tournaments they went to two Final Fours and they won a national championship. And that's just the other indicator of like what you're saying. In March, it's more about. The opportunities that you get, the more appearances that you get, as opposed to, um, you know, the just how good one team is, and that's the thing that that will need people to have like some of that, um, levity and, and understanding of of what it's going to be, but I, I do think like the expectation becomes good seeds in the NCAA tournament, and you're going to become one of those teams that you get those consistent chances to to prove yourself and be in the tournament. And the other thing that helps you is, like, we're going to compare this thing to Baylor a lot, not only this year, not only next year, but over the next however many years that Jerome Tang is here. Be thankful that if you're K-State, you get to start on a lot more solid footing than what the Baylor program that Scott Drew and Jerome Tang walked into was. Because it wasn't until their fifth season that they made it to the NCAA tournament. It wasn't until their seventh season that they went to the, the Elite Eight. And it wasn't until their, let's see, what that'd be their seventeenth uh, season that they won the Big Twelve. So like it took them a long time. K State is in a much better place, even though it felt really bad uh, at the end of Bruce Weber. They're in a much better place than that, and everything should come along a lot quicker for th- for this program. And uh, like I said, next year I expect, like I think c- things could be a little bit tougher for them, but. Five years from now, this is absolutely the type of team and the type of staff that is going to have them in that same category of Baylor. As hey, we used to not think of them year after year as being one of the top ten teams we got to worry about, but we're going to have to consider K State every postseason moving forward because that we just we can see that that is what's transpiring.
1: Yeah, and I just, uh, I just rolled into a ESPN stats and info tweet mm-hmm. with Gasan and his Jersey over his head. K-State eight straight elite eight, eight losses most consecutive of any school in the country. So,
0: yep. That would, uh, that would certainly seem to add up. Um, because the three that have happened in my lifetime, that those feel like they're worth eight. So, um, if you're one of those people that uh, was born after 1964 and you've been alive for all eight of those losses, I feel horrible for you. Heck, if you were alive for even the good Elite Eight performances, I feel bad for you that it's been that long uh, since, it's, uh, since it's happened. But, you know, I got to have perspective in life now. Like, I'm about to be a dad. You know, I, I would rather enjoy a Final Four run with my daughter than just me, just me, you know? It, some things are bigger than basketball, Gabe, and that's what I want people to remember, is, you know, it's about family. It's about uh whatever else you want. And that's all a bunch of crap, because I very much would have rather than have made the Final Four this year, because I don't care if my daughter ever sees K-State in a Final Four. As long as I see him there, that's all that matters to me. So, sorry to her in the future. I think
1: you do, because I think you would like want more than just more than just this year, if it would have happened. That's but, true. Uh, that's true. Yeah. There you go.
0: You know, that's one, of, that's one of those deals where you go, Oh man, if, if we just get it this one time, I'm okay. If the are terrible. I said that a lot during that Royals run and now am I rethinking it? No. Cause they won the world series. So, um, but yeah, that's, those are all things to consider. And that is the way to, uh, bring this podcast to a, uh, a big-time thud, and we are done. I have nothing else to look forward to in basketball this year, so I better just go throw like a 100 bucks on somebody right now and just get the thrill of basketball back in me because uh, Alabama lost, and they were my, my bracket champ, and K-State is done, so I don't have basketball to cover anymore. And uh, that means we're, we're on to spring football this week. Uh, we're going to get our first looks at K-State. And I know some of you don't care about that right now because you're still upset about the basketball game, but it's just what you have to look forward to. And uh, for those of you that love the great game of baseball, Thursday, three ten, Kaufman Kauffman Stadium. The boys are back, full powder blue. It's going to be a beautiful sight. I got the tickets ready to go. I bought them like a month and a half ago. I even, because I've got a pregnant wife, I even bought like the reserve parking pass so it could be a little bit closer and she didn't have to walk However long, I'm ready to go. So life is still going to be good. The sun will probably come up tomorrow. You may hate it, but it's going to be there. And uh, just like Marco Bourne said on Twitter afterwards, November 7th, 2023. uh, Just be ready for that and a new season of K-State basketball. And this offseason is going to be fun to follow because there's at least two open roster spots on a team that needs to get better. And there certainly could be more. Uh, that become available as well because it's college basketball, it's college athletics, and uh, wild stuff can happen. Your face just lit up, Did you just see, see something else that you saw. Oh, I was just,
1: I was just getting a good laugh out of out of what you said about Marco. <laughs> hey, I don't, I don't know who. Shout. Do we know who their first game of the season is against? Uh we don't know yet. We don't know, but I would just say whoever's you know. getting it on November seventh is about to run into a early prediction i I, I hope that that incarnate word comes back double -double on opening night
0: (laughs) okay incarnate word welcome back to manhattan kansas please (laughs) please come back uh, for for opening night and uh see how that thing goes what what a season uh it ends in heartbreak again but as gabe said Uh, that's eight straight Elite Eight losses for K-State. They haven't been to a Final Four since 1964, so K-State fans know it pretty well. But at the end of the day, this was a pretty special year for K-State sports. I know that there are still other ones going on, but basketball season always kind of unofficially wraps it up. A Big 12 title in football and an Elite Eight run and having two coaches in those spots that seem like they're built to go for many years after this at that level – That's a pretty special thing that K-State has that not a lot of other places have. Um, So be thankful for that. And I guess when you go to your pillow and you're crying tears into it tonight, make them happy tears because your head coaches are Chris Kleiman and Jerome Tang. And that's how we end the EMA Online Podcast.